We're going to start today's session with a conversation with Anupam Rastogi from Emergent Ventures. Anupam, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Samana, and good morning, everyone. Anupam, let's start by uh, getting you acquainted with our audience and uh, talk a little bit about how you position your fund, but before that, a little bit of your own background of how you arrived at Emergent Ventures. Sure, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Anupam Rastogi, I'm based here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been in the technology space for, you know, uh, for a very long time now. And uh, I, uh, in terms of academic background, uh, studied engineering, uh, you know, computer science uh, back in the 90s and came over to the U.S. I, I grew up in India, came over to the U.S. in the year 2000 and uh, started a career on the operating side in uh, research and then product management and go-to-market roles at, uh, you know, at a larger company and then a couple of startups, uh, which was super exciting. These startups eventually had good outcomes. And uh, during that time, realized that I wanted to actually work for multiple startups uh, at once. And uh, that's how I decided to get into venture and, and have been in venture the last uh, you know, 12 or so years. And, uh, and then uh, uh, I can share more about Emergent. Uh, we are a seed and early stage venture firm based here in the Bay Area. And we focus, uh, you know, we, are, we write a first check at the early stages, very early stages, uh, pre-seed, seed, sometimes post-seed uh, rounds. And we lead those rounds. Typically these are one to $4 million type rounds. And we focused on the B2B uh, space broadly, and then within that, companies that are focused on what we call intelligent software, software that gets smarter with use, often is leveraging AI data in a smarter manner, and uh, it could be either across any number of business workflows or uh, in an industry vertical or at the infrastructure layer. Uh, so that's what we do, and we have a portfolio of about uh, 35 companies. We're investing actively out of our fund too. Okay. Anupam, I'm going to drill a little bit on uh, trying to understand this more specifically uh, how to work with you. First, how big is your fund two right now? Yeah, so uh, we manage about 140 million. Our uh, fund two is a $76 million fund. Okay. And you said you write checks between one to three million first check. Uh, what do you need to see? in a company? What, how do you define pre-seed, seed, post-seed, whatever, but what needs to be in the company for you to be, to feel comfortable writing a check? Yeah, and uh, I should clarify, our, the round sizes we come in are one to three million. Our own check could be between one to one and a half million, most often to start with, and then we continue backing these companies as we see more, uh, you know, as, as they make more progress. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, what do we need to see? Uh, you know, and these, these rounds names have moved around quite a lot, and different people use different terminologies. But yeah. uh, we are, you know, one thing uh, we do is we are fairly comfortable coming in very early. Uh, typically, uh, you know, I'd say our typical uh, entry point tends to be a company which may have, and we are focused on the enterprise space. So these companies often have maybe an MVP, maybe they have spoken with customers, maybe they have some pilots, uh, we're not looking for revenues or momentum uh, at the stage we are coming in at. Uh, but really, I'd say the things we're looking for are much more qualitative at the stage we come in at. You know, team is by far one of the most important things uh, we are focused on. 
And uh, in the few weeks that we are trying to get to know entrepreneurs more deeply uh, when we are assessing these companies and they are assessing us, uh, we're trying to really understand the trajectory of these entrepreneurs, uh, of the founders, you know, what are their motivations? Uh, we're trying to understand a lot of qualitative areas like, uh, you know, resilience, ability to just plow through walls. Uh, and, and then of course their, uh, you know, how well uh, do they know the space? What's their level of passion? Then, uh, you know, the other big area is of course, understanding the market and market readiness of these, uh, of the idea itself. And that has many different parts to it. So we often, uh, uh, you know, introduce prospective uh, investee companies to folks from our network who could be, uh, you know, customers or who could be advisors or are in the space. And we sit through those meetings uh, and that gives us a flavor for, you know, is, the, uh, is there a market need for a product like this? What are the customers using today? What are the pain points? Are they willing to switch to something new? What would it take to have them, you know, pay for this? What would they pay? We are trying to get a sense for some of those things. And I'd say the third big area, which is really key, which is often uh, under the, you know, it's like the iceberg, but under the water level often, is that, uh, you know, we also filtering what do we understand the space and can we add value? And are we passionate about this? That, uh, you know, given that at the seed stage, you know, we end up maybe seeing a very large number of deals and we are only able to do five or six, given that we are a conviction-driven investor. So we are looking for that, uh, you know, essentially we are, uh, you know, mutually self-filtering for that where we have high passion and the entrepreneur typically sees that when we are working with them on the evaluation that we have high passion and understanding of the space. And uh, so I'm kind of reading your response to my question as you don't do concept stage, but you do pre-revenue stage ventures, yes? Yeah, so we uh, do do some concept stage as well. So we have done several companies which were, you know, one or two or three founders and a PowerPoint at that stage. Uh, so I would say everything from there to early revenues, that's sort of the uh, range of stages that we do. Okay. Could you elaborate on what would it take for you to do concept stage? Because, more, I mean, we see very few investors doing concept stage. So when we find one, we try to understand what is yeah. the, uh, what are the criteria that you're looking for. Yeah, so I'd say along with the other criteria uh, that I mentioned at the concept stage, we are really looking to see also how much market development the founder has done. So oftentimes, even before you build a product, you can go talk to, you know, we come across entrepreneurs who have gone yeah. with 20, 30, 50 customers, and they've processed that information in a, you know, structured manner, at least in their heads, and they figured out what the needs are, and they can talk to, it's not based on just one, empirical experience or experience of one or two people, it's often based on yeah. the experience of 20, 30, 50 people. And um, I'd say the bar on the other areas goes a bit higher at concept stage. So, uh, you know, uh, some of the usual areas like the domain expertise and prior background that the entrepreneurs have in that space, uh, what kind of a network do they have in that space? Can they crack into some, some of those customer accounts, uh, you know, leadership skills, resilience. So a lot of the things are the same, but at the concept stage, the only thing I, I guess, which I mentioned was, uh, that market development is one recommendation I would give to entrepreneurs is that really helps a lot. And it'll help you really, uh, the entrepreneurs, really figure out as well if the idea is something you want to do, first of all. And second, uh, you know, often it helps you pivot into specific pockets, you know, new uh, 
sub ideas come out of it or you figure out that hey maybe what we were originally thinking is maybe not the best thesis but hey here is another related problem that comes out of that exercise so i'd say that is could probably be a big differentiating factor at that stage at the concept stage you know um, i'll just kind of just for the benefit of the audience i would um, summarize what i've heard and that probably is relevant to this discussion from some of your colleagues market development as you said and kind of pre-validating the market often in concept stage deals the founder or the founder's team come with a pretty solid understanding and domain knowledge of the problem domain that they are going into and much of the market development is because of that domain knowledge and the domain relationship and then often people who are doing concept stage ventures are assuming that with that domain knowledge, knowledge the product can be built. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. And what about uh, geography? What's, uh, what, you know, corridor? Is it the India-US corridor that's your primary uh, mode of activity? So uh, we are focused on companies which have US as a primary focus market, and they could be building product anywhere else, uh, either in you know other parts of US, outside of the main tech hubs, or okay. places like India, uh, or uh, you know, it could be Europe, or other places. But we, really, uh, we like this model, and you know, we've been doing this for the past five plus years, even before the pandemic. Uh, that's been our uh, key focus is, uh, you know, what that does is, uh, uh, you know, a dollar could go three, four, five times further in uh, if you're building teams and products in these other places. And that's not just a cost advantage. It actually ends up being a, a very significant unfair advantage, if you will, uh, where you can build three to five times more product for the same $2 million seed round or a 10 or 15 million series A. Uh, that just can, you know, you can serve customers better for the same amount of money, which then helps companies just become market leaders more quickly. So that's been our thesis. And we are open to companies from uh, any part of uh, the country or the world, but with a keen focus on the U.S. as the core market. And we do have uh, a fair number of companies which are in the U.S.-India, uh, which have the U.S.-India model with U.S. go-to-market and uh, tech teams in India. We also have companies that have teams in places like uh, you know Germany, Nebraska, Austin, Atlanta, a lot of other emerging tech hubs. Great. So Anupam, let's do some case studies. Some pick some of your favorite companies that are representative of how you invest, and tell us how you met them, how they came to you. You know, what was what what did they have that gave you conviction to write the checks? So maybe let's do two or three of these examples. Sure. Uh, so yeah, uh, maybe I will pick a few companies. Uh, you know, one of our uh, companies that is uh, on a good trajectory is a company called Observe.ai, which is in the uh, which does contact center automation, and uh, that was a, a very early stage investment. You know, pre-seed essentially it was uh, concept stage at that time, and uh, we made that investment in 2017. My partner uh, led that deal, and. Uh, uh, yeah, so it was a so the company does now is really they're helping uh, automate more of the customer you know, contact center experience. So whenever you call, call a call center, 
there's a you know agent that you're looking to speak with, and that experience has a lot of friction areas within it. Uh, you know, not a lot of people end up being happy with that today. Uh, corporations end up spending a lot of money on it, and the people don't have a, that are actually serving those calls uh, don't have a lot of good tools. So uh, Observe is really helping uh, solve some of those issues by uh, they have a voice AI solution that can listen into calls and uh, can pick up issues around uh, you know quality and uh, compliance and other areas. And they've built uh, vertical AI, which goes a lot deeper than any other you know horizontal AI for this specific type of uh, you know, these type of use cases in the contact center. And that company has been on a very good trajectory since then. Uh, uh, they are uh, now about you know, four or five years in. They are, you know, so they have hundreds of enterprise customers now across uh, different industries. Uh, you know, they've raised a lot more capital. They they are you know two hundred employees. Uh, you know, very strong product market with very high growth rates. And uh, yeah, what we uh, saw at that time was really. Uh, you know, very high quality team. So it's basically the three things, uh, you know, I laid out earlier with, you know, the team side, uh, uh, you know, a lot to like about the team. Uh, the founder came from, uh, was previously, uh, you know, an engineer at Twitter and, uh, but they developed a very keen understanding of, uh, you know, they were coming from the technology side at that time and, uh, 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 you know, they developed a keen understanding of uh, the space they're trying to target and how they'll solve these problems. And the specific use case morphed a bit over time. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one company that is uh, further along uh, for Emergent. Uh, and uh, maybe, uh, yeah, I'll talk about a more recent investment, a younger company. Uh, uh, this is an unannounced company in the uh, privacy space, uh, they're helping mm -hmm. developers, uh, you know, develop code that is more privacy friendly. There's a lot of, you know, these regulations that have come up, including GDPR in Europe, CCPA and others, where you need to be careful about what data is being stored, how it's being stored uh, and how it's being processed. Uh, and developers often have to manually think about that and they may not uh, necessarily want to educate themselves fully on all these regulations. So uh, this company has built a set of scanners which can go through code to uh, you know, understand what the privacy implications may be. And th that has a lot of intelligence around understanding what libraries are getting called and how the data is being stored. And uh, so yeah, we co-led a, a seed round there. And uh, yeah, they had a you know, good set of, uh, so this was, I'd say, slightly beyond the idea stage, more at the pilot stage. They had a set of customers they had already begun talking to, and uh, we connected them to several people from our network who are close to the space, sat through some of those meetings, and got a good handle that this seemed like a very wide uh, need. Uh, and, uh, you know, everyone agreed that, hey, if there's a tool like this, we would love to try it out because this is a key hot-button topic right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we also liked how the entrepreneurs were sort of taking that feedback and processing it, and uh, you know they were able to sort of articulate their vision to prospective customers, and uh, you know, and then also how they're thinking of the long-term vision. So often that's one thing we see is you know marrying that short-term value proposition to customers versus the long-term vision, and doing that in a you know one is much more focused on here and now, the other is uh, maybe looking further out and a little amorphous, and if you're able to do that convincingly. 
uh, I think that helps. So yeah, we've seen some many of those aspects there. And uh, so yeah, we uh, led around there recently. So yeah, those are those are two examples. So my last question is a trend question. Um, you know, this the B two B enterprise B two B as well as SMB B two B tech deep tech space has been AI in particular has been very hot for several years now. What are you seeing now that is new trends or, you know, where do you think we are going vis-a-vis -vis this market? Yeah. So I'd say, you know, we are really starting to see, you know, first of all, taking a step back, I'd say I see the AI-led software uh, approach as a, you, know, you could think of it as a fourth wave of software after, you know, maybe if you take mainframe computing, on-premise computing, cloud and SaaS, each of those waves mm -hmm. has been, uh, you know, multi-decade, maybe two to three decade long trend. And the other trend then gets superimposed on that. And then it's each of those waves has been much larger, order of magnitude larger than the previous one. So cloud-based software has uh, created over 100 public uh, SaaS companies over, yeah. uh, you know, median valuation over maybe between five and 10 billion, many over 100 billion. Uh, so we see AI-led software is probably in year five or year seven of a maybe 20, 30-year trend where it's going to just go deeper and deeper. And it's going to be well beyond just replacing existing software. What it's doing today already, uh, we're starting to see uh, early signs of that is that it's just reinventing how business is done, You know, whether it's sales, marketing, finance, yeah. customer service. A lot of those flows which were entirely human-led uh, and a lot of people were doing a lot of mundane manual work on some of those things. Software can take up a lot of those mundane parts of those, uh, you know, how those activities are done. And this is more at a micro level, you know, not that entire function, but much more specific uh, pieces there and let the humans then be a lot more efficient with their work and focus more on the, you know, tasks that require judgment and creativity and more software skills. So that's the product theme, and uh, we continue to see, uh, you know, more and more uh, sort of, you, you know, the wedges, you initially get in with a smaller wedge, and then it just sort of, you can keep growing it. So that's what we are seeing, is that, uh, so across, actually, most of those functions, uh, we are seeing a lot of activity uh, now, where you start with a certain wedge, and then over time, the idea is to just reinvent uh, how uh, this is done. I'll give you maybe another example. There's a company called Present where we are investors, and uh, they're looking to reinvent how business communications are done, especially in the con uh, context of business presentations, how those are created. Mm -hmm. And today, you you know start with an empty PowerPoint or a Google you know slides, and then you're trying to each time just start a new presentation or just start with an old presentation. But then there's already so much data out there. There's only so many types of you know presentations, and there's uh, proven best ways of communicating certain ideas. So this company you know leverages AI and a lot of data on millions of slides to uh, really help you get started. Where you just let the system know that hey, I'm creating a presentation for a sales operations meeting, and I like a visual presentation, and I like it to be more data driven and so on and so forth, and it just creates a flow for you, which is going to be much more impactful than what you may have, you know, when anyone, like, there's hundreds of millions of workers today uh, who are creating presentations and what they would have done. 
so yeah, this is just an example, but you know, a company like this could just reinvent if, it, if things go well, how uh, business communications are authored. So similarly, we have a lot of companies in, you know, that are reinventing sales or marketing or specific industry verticals is another area where we're seeing a lot of uh, intelligent software within areas like logistics, supply chain. We have a company that's reinventing the media and entertainment uh, industry and how content is procured and found. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of, I'd say another trend maybe I'll call out is a lot of companies which are trying to now build meta software, uh, if you will, either software which helps you figure out which software to use or software that actually helps you write software. We're starting to see uh, mm -hmm. folks do that. So a lot of low code, no code, but also uh, yeah. Yeah, software, authoring software, uh, and then dashboards which help you manage all this data, uh, uh, which has now, uh, you know, with multiplicity of different tools and dashboards, uh, other dashboards or intelligent software that brings together all of that and helps you actually act on it. So lots of different areas um, of activity across the spectrum, I'd say. What about um, this craze about metaverse these days? Do you see that being relevant in the B2B realm? Uh, so I'd say uh, we haven't, I'd say, yeah, not in the, given that we focus on the enterprise and B2B side, uh, we haven't, I'd say, uh, in the core focused on that, but on the periphery, we are starting to see uh, you know, some overlaps. Uh, for example, I mentioned we have a company which is in the media and entertainment supply chain yeah. space. So we're starting to see providers there. There's about half a million, you know, uh, content producers of scale uh, overall globally. And uh, this company indexes all of that using AI uh, and what services they provide. So, uh, you know, they, it's called Vitrina. And they, uh, uh, you know, companies like that would be often, uh, you know, from a content as more VR and metaverse content gets created. Uh, there will be overlaps there, uh, and and uh, but I would say yeah, uh, uh, that's not a core focus area for us. So uh, just following this uh, that segment more from afar, I would say. Great. All right. Well, um, I look forward to doing some work with you in the uh, upcoming months and years. Uh, thank you for sharing what you're doing and uh, all the trends that you're seeing here today. 